to break. Life can be wedding cake. Summer is a time of fun, food, and sunshine. But don't let the summer pass you by without it making you stronger. Our Summer Strong series at City First Church, you'll learn the key ingredients that will make you wiser, stronger, better, all because of Jesus. Well, hello, City First Church. We are so glad that each and every one of you are with us today. And I want to take a moment and I want to welcome everyone who's joining us, our City First Church Anywhere online family right here, Spring Creek and State Line. You're amazing. Cape Coral and, of course, our very favorite locations, God Behind Bars. Let's give it up for everybody who's joining us at Dixon and Hardy and, of course, through the Pando app. Well, for the month of July here at City First, we're talking about Summer Strong. And I love this topic because I think that we all need to be strengthened, right? This past year, maybe life has beat us all up a little bit, leaving some of us maybe feeling tired or weak or weary or worn out or discouraged or depleted or distracted. And we don't want this summer to just pass us by, leaving us in the same condition or a worse condition than when we started. It's our prayer that at City First Church, each of us, as well as us as a church, are stronger by the end of summer. How many of you want to be stronger spiritually by the end of this summer, right? We want our faith to be stronger. Yeah, you can give God praise. We want our relationships to be stronger. We want our marriages to be stronger, our parenting to be stronger. We want decision-making to be stronger. We want our purpose, why God has us on this earth at this time to be stronger. And so the question that we have is, well, then how do we get stronger? And so far in this collection of talks, we've talked about two different ways. Pastor Jeremy talked about how to overcome temptation. And last week, Derek did such an amazing job talking about how to find rest if you are stressed. So if you miss either one of those weeks, go back and watch them on our website, on YouTube. Uh, they were absolutely amazing. But today, I want to take some time and I want to focus in on finding strength in unexpected places. How we can find strength in unexpected places. You know, when we talk about finding strength, our minds may drift to believe that we become stronger by striving or trying harder. Maybe you think, I become stronger by having more power or willpower. Or maybe you're like, Lisa, I get stronger when I watch Netflix or TikTok, okay? Like all of us might have our own prescription to find strength. But what does the Bible say about where we can find strength? And when we look to God's word, we find that we can find strength in unexpected places. Now, there's a famous verse in the book of Nehemiah, and you might know the fill-in that we're about to show on the screen, okay? But don't shout it out yet. Just hang on to it, okay? But there's a verse that says, the blank of the Lord is my strength. Now, if you had never seen this verse before, maybe you're seeing it for the very first time, you might expect this to say, the power of the Lord is my strength. Or the greatness of the Lord is my strength. Or the victory of the Lord is my strength. But the answer, and this is your time, it says the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, I don't know about you, 
But joy is not what I would expect to strengthen me, right? In today's culture, there are a lot of things that we talk about. There are a lot of things on the rise. Things like fear, depression, anxiety, loneliness, worry. We hear a lot about these things, but something we don't hear a lot about is joy. And we don't talk about the fact that joy could even be an antidote to some of those things. Now, the author of this verse, Nehemiah, I want to give you a little bit of context about him and about this verse. Nehemiah was in need of strength, and Nehemiah did not have an easy life, not just because his name was Nehemiah. He didn't have an easy life, okay? He was, part, he was in the Old Testament portion of the Bible, and he was actually enslaved to a king whose name was King Artaxerxes. He was the king of Persia, and Nehemiah was enslaved to him for many years. But Nehemiah was a man of faith. He trusted God, and because of his faith and trust in God and the way he lived his life, King Artaxerxes had a lot of favor for Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was also of Jewish descent. So when he learned that Jerusalem had been destroyed, the city walls were broken down, Nehemiah felt a burden to go and help his people rebuild their city. And because of Nehemiah's favor with the king, the king not only gave him permission to go, he gave him aid, he gave him assistance, he gave him provision to go. And so Nehemiah went to Jerusalem. But Nehemiah had a big job in front of him because the city had been destroyed and the people were discouraged. City had been destroyed, people were discouraged. And when you read the book of Nehemiah, we see that there's a lot of parallels between Nehemiah physically rebuilding the city walls and also spiritually rebuilding the people's faith and trust in God. And we as a nation and as a church have been through a lot this past year. And we are in a rebuilding season. Maybe you personally are in a rebuilding season. You're rebuilding your business. You're rebuilding your marriage. You're in the middle of rebuilding a relationship with a child. Maybe you're in the middle of rebuilding your friendship circle after months of isolation. Maybe you're in the middle of rebuilding what your faith looks like, what your dependence on God looks like. You're rebuilding what healthy habits in your life look like. And in the middle of your rebuilding, God wants his joy to bring you strength. He wants his joy to strengthen you in the middle of your hard work, in the middle of what you're facing. God does not just want you to endure another day. He does not just want you to survive another day. He does not just want you to scroll away your one and only life or spend all of your time complaining, comparing, or canceling. God wants you to live your every day with purpose and with joy and with the strength that only he can provide. And as much as God wants you to have joy in your everyday life, you better believe that the enemy does not want you to have joy in your everyday life. I think we see that there's so many people who are hopeless. They're void of having a true joy in their life. And the enemy would want us to live that way, just going through the motions of life, just getting through another day, just enduring. But God has so much more for us. And the enemy will want us to believe that, no, joy's for other people, but it's not for you. You don't deserve that joy. You've messed up too much to have that joy. Your past is too bad to have that joy. The enemy wants us to believe that circumstances have to be good for us to have joy. But we see from Nehemiah that that is not true. 
Their circumstances were not good. Their city had been destroyed by their enemies. They had nothing left. They were physically working hard every single day to rebuild. And yet Nehemiah is telling them, guys, right where you're at, the joy of the Lord can be your strength. And in a world today, in our world today, we can mix up happiness and joy. But there is a difference. They are not interchangeable, okay? Happiness is based on circumstances. We've all experienced that, right? You've got a good circumstance, you're feeling happy. You know what I'm talking about, right? You get that new pair of shoes, you're feeling happy. You're feeling fulfilled for a minute, okay? You finally have that weather that the sun is shining and you're feeling happy, right? Your bank account is looking good. You got that stimmy check and you're like, I'm feeling happy right now. You've got that relationship that you've been longing for and you're like, mm-hmm, I am feeling happy right now. Your social media is blowing up. You're feeling happy. You finally closed that business deal. You're feeling happy. You finally have that good round of golf and you are feeling happy, right? But happiness is temporary. It is fleeting. It comes and it goes. The good golf comes and it goes. The weather is good and then it's not. And we don't want to be people who are just living a slave to what our circumstances are. Happiness is fleeting, but joy is permanent because joy is based on Jesus. And Jesus is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Joy is not found in circumstances. It is found in Jesus. And that changes everything for us. And do you know that Jesus wants you to experience his joy? And how do we know this is important? Well, there's a couple scriptures I want to read to us. Do you know that when Jesus first came to this earth in the form of a baby, right? We talk about this around Christmas time. There's a famous verse in Luke 2.10. And a lot of times we think about this, you know, around Christmas. It's this verse, Luke 2.10. It says, I bring you good news of great joy, cried the angel, which shall come to all people. The angel is talking about baby Jesus being born on this earth. So his entrance into this earth is marked with joy. And then when Jesus left this earth, right before he ascended to heaven, some of the last words that he said to his disciples are found in John 15, 11. And it says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Right? Not just maybe kind of there, not that it's circumstantial, but his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. Jesus' entrance and exit of this earth were bookended in joy. We talk about we want to make a good first impression. We want to leave a good lasting impression. Well, the fact that Jesus' entrance and exit were marked by joy is significant. And it tells us that because of Jesus, we can have joy. Now, I don't know about any of you, maybe you're a practical person in the place, and you're like, this is good, this talk about joy, but specifically, Lisa, how do I obtain this joy? Well, I'm glad that you asked, and today I want to give you two ways that you can cultivate joy in your everyday life, two ways that you can begin to implement today to see that increased joy that we all desire. 
The first one is this. Spending time in God's presence produces joy. Okay, God's presence, and this is important for all of us to know, God's presence is the pathway to joy. Not your relationship, not your new Yeezys, not that uh, social media. It is Jesus. God's presence is the pathway to joy. It's found in him. It says this in Galatians 5.22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. See, this is good news because joy is not something that we have to try to produce. We just cultivate the environment where it can grow. Now, you might be in here and you're like, okay, that's good news for me because I am not naturally a joyful person. Maybe you're like, my spouse is not naturally a joyful person. Don't nudge them. Don't look at them. Just keep looking right here. There's good news on the way. God is the one who gives us joy. Okay, that same verse that we read in the Amplified Version says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, the result of his presence within us is love, unselfish concern for others, joy, inner peace, patience, not the ability to wait, but how we act while waiting. Mm-hmm. Kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. What produces joy? Our trying, our striving, more of our own presence? No, the presence of God within us produces joy. You know, some of the most joyful people that I know personally are the very same people who are walking through hellish situations. They're the same people who are battling cancer or battling a disease or a diagnosis or a divorce or something difficult in their lives. And yet, in the middle of their difficulty, they still have joy because you can tell they spend time with God. See, joy is not the absence of trials. It's the presence of Jesus with us amidst them. When Jesus is with us, we can walk through things that we didn't think that we could walk through. We can have a strength that we didn't know was available to us. Joy shifts our hearts to a position of worship regardless of what our current circumstances are. Now, maybe if you've been around City First for any amount of time, you've heard the name Zoe International. Zoe International is an amazing organization that fights human trafficking. And we've partnered with Zoe International because of your generosity, the generosity of City First. We've partnered together with them for over a decade, which is pretty incredible. And when we first started supporting Zoe, we would send financial support consistently to support their work because they were having amazing success. And what they do is they help to rescue kids out of human trafficking and they provide a children's home so kids can come and have restoration and meet Jesus, and their work is incredible. And so after a couple of years of supporting them financially, Pastor Jen was like, I really want to go, and I want to experience their ministry firsthand. And so she was like, let's go. So her and myself and a couple ladies from the original conference made our way over to Chiang Mai, Thailand. We flew 20-something hours on a plane, and we went over to work with Zoe. And if you know me at all, I'm usually pretty up for any adventure. I like doing new things. So normally I really enjoy traveling. But when it came to this trip in particular, I'll confess to you that I was kind of dreading it. 
Because as we were getting closer and closer to our departure day, I kept thinking, we're going to go over, and we're going to go to a children's home that is full of children who are orphaned, that have been trafficked, five years old, six years old, seven-year-olds, some kids up to 30 times a day. And I was like, this is going to be a very depressing trip, and I was not looking forward to going at all. And so we get over to Chiang Mai, Thailand, and we get off the plane, and we meet with some of the staff, and we meet with the founders, Carol and Michael Hart, and they're kind of giving us the do's and the don'ts and what to expect, and I'm still feeling a little nervous, and I'll never forget, we walk into the children's home, the very first time I ever went, and there's dozens and dozens of kids, little kids to teenagers, and this place is just teeming with life. I walk in and kids are laughing, they're playing games, they're high-fiving, they come over, they greet us with smiles, and I was already blown away at the energy and the, the excitement that these kids had after being through so much difficulty. And at Zoe, because it's a faith-based, Jesus-believing organization, a couple times a week they have chapels, which is a lot like what we're doing right now, worship service. They sing songs back to God, the missionaries uh, share a message, and then they have an opportunity for students and for some of the kids to be able to give a testimony. And I'll never forget this day. We are in there, we're sitting in the back, and this little boy, seven years old, he gets up to give his testimony. And he's wearing a polo shirt, it was a white polo shirt, buttoned up all the way to the top. And they had a little microphone and they gave it to him and he gets up with a smile on his face. And he says, I just want to take a moment and I want to testify of the goodness of my God. That my God has a plan and a purpose for my life. And he said, and not only for my life, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he said, and if you don't believe my words, that's okay, but you should believe God's word. And then he opens up his Bible to Jeremiah 29, 11, and he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And the kids are clapping, much like what you just did. I'm in the back weeping. And, after, and afterwards, I went up to Carol, and she had said that that little boy who gave that testimony had been rescued from human trafficking about a year ago, seven years old, spent years being trafficked, and yet he's standing up declaring the goodness of our God. I said, Carol, how is this even possible that he can stand up and declare that? And she said, Lisa, these kids have encountered Jesus, and Jesus' presence in their life has changed everything. Thing. It's changed them, restored them, redeemed them, renewed them. God's presence changes things. And I walked home so convicted because how often in our American culture do we neglect and not prioritize the presence of God in our lives? We're looking for change everywhere and anywhere, but we're not looking to God's presence we're not prioritizing spending time with him or even coming to church for an hour. But God's presence changes things. And that trip reminded me of the power of God's presence. And here's what we're learning today, right? We've just learned, we read in Galatians 5.22 that God's presence produces joy, right? And then we learn from Nehemiah that joy produces joy strength. And what happens when we're in God's presence and then we have joy and then from that joy we have the strength 
God gives us the ability to overcome. God gives us the ability to have victory in our lives, not because of our presence, but because of his presence in our lives. We saw on display in the little boy's life in Chiang Mai, Thailand, God's presence produces joy as joy gives us strength and strength gives us the ability to overcome. Look, I know that this world is full of difficulties and trials and Jesus said it would be. In John 16, 33, he said that there will be trials in this world, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And because Jesus overcomes, we have the ability to overcome. And I hope we're reminded of that today, that whatever you're facing, whatever difficulty you're up against, whatever struggle internally, externally, because of Jesus, you don't have to overcome in your own strength. You don't have to just try to willpower your way through it. Just get in God's presence. He's going to give you a joy. That joy is going to give you strength, and that strength is going to give you a supernatural ability to overcome. So let's be people who prioritize God's presence. Open up the Bible. Turn on some worship music. If you don't know where to start, keep coming to church on Sundays or joining us online. If you're not able to be in person, get to Growth Track. You'll learn how to grow there. And then also in two weeks, we've got 21 days of prayer that's happening. Whether you've never prayed a day in your life or you can't imagine a day of your life without prayer, this is going to be a perfect thing for each of us to participate in. So get ready for that. Okay, so being in God's presence produces joy. The second way that we can cultivate more joy is this, to be thankful. Thankfulness produces joy. Now, I know it's not Thanksgiving. It's not November. We don't want to be thinking about winter months here, but we always should be talking about thankfulness because thankfulness and joy go hand in hand. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not some circumstances, not when the weather's good circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Just as our joy is not circumstantial, neither should our thankfulness be. Right? The author of this verse is the Apostle Paul. If anyone has a right to say this, it's him. He wrote this verse while he was being persecuted because of his faith in Jesus. Later, he wrote the book of Philippians from a prison cell. And even there, he says, don't worry about anything. But in all things, give God thanks. Make your request known to him. He'll give you peace that passes understanding. See, not only did Paul model thanksgiving, Jesus modeled it for us too when he walked this earth. He gave thanks in the middle of some pretty tough circumstances. And you know, Paul didn't have to give thanks. Jesus didn't have to give, give thanks. They could have complained, right? That's always an option, complaining. Do you know that the average person complains for 15 to 30 minutes every single day? Yeah, 30 minutes. Some of you are like, that's a lot. Some of you are like, that ain't nothing, okay? 30 minutes of complaining every single day. Now, I know we've got overachievers here at City First, but this is not a category where you want to be above average in, right? 
But man, can we complain? It just comes so easily. We complain about the weather. We complain about the traffic. We complain about that music that is too loud or the internet that's too slow or the cubbies that just can't win a game. We complain about the preacher wearing jeans with holes in them. Like we just complain. Have you ever met a chronic complainer? You're like, I just want to avoid them. You see them in the hallway, and even if you're like, how's it going? They're going to be like, I've been better. It's not going so good. If you can't think of a chronic complainer, it could be you. I'm just offering that as an option, right? But it takes no effort to complain, zero. It is easy to complain. But it does take effort and it does take intentionality to be thankful. And we know the benefits of thankfulness. It produces joy. Do you know the byproduct of complaining? It causes our brain to operate differently. It causes our body to carry stress that we are never intended to carry. There's negative repercussions of complaining, but there are positive results when we are full of thanksgiving. And why do you think some of Jesus' last words to his followers before he left this earth were to have joy and joy to the full? Was it for them? Yes, it was for them. He wants them to be full of joy, but also it's for the other people who didn't know Jesus yet. Jesus is like, look, guys, I'm going to heaven. You're representing me here on this earth. And as you represent me, make me look good. Jesus is a smart guy. He's like, enjoy is going to make me look good. It's going to represent me well. Complaining, that is not going to represent me very well. So be full of joy. Be full of thanksgiving. And people are going to notice what you've got. This world can be void of true joy. And when they see true joy in you to the full, they're going to say, I want what they have. And then they're going to realize that that joy comes from Jesus. And they're going to want to have what we have. The disciples were just ordinary people, but they spent enough time with Jesus that that joy began to overflow. Joy is meant for you, but it's not meant to stay with you. It's meant to overflow out of you. That's why it says joy to the full, to the brim, that it has nowhere else to go but to spill out into your home, into your workplace, into your conversations, into your everyday. How would your home be different if all of a sudden you walked in full of joy? How would your workplace be different if you were a carrier of joy? Things would be different. People would notice that joy and they would want to know where it came from. And I know that it's not always easy to be thankful, right? It wasn't always easy for Jesus either. Even in difficult circumstances, though, he still gave thanks, like what that verse says. Give thanks in all, all things. In 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. He's having his last supper with his disciples. And it says in 1 Corinthians 11 that on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks for it. On the night that he was betrayed, that's not a good night preparing to go to the cross. It's not ideal circumstances. And yet even there, Jesus found something to be thankful for. We all can find something to be thankful for. And what's so interesting about that verse, that he gave thanks, is that in the original language that it was written in, the word gave thanks equals eutychristio. 
That's the original word that means gave thanks. That word has two root words, kara, which means joy, calm, delight, or inner gladness, and charis, which means grace. So the literal translation of the scripture, if we would read it in the language that it was originally written in, Thanksgiving literally means joy and grace. Thanksgiving produces joy. Thanksgiving produces grace. So if you need more joy in your life, be thankful. If you need more grace for the difficult season that you're walking in, be thankful. I want to encourage you to increase your gratitude. Stop complaining and instead give God thanks. In fact, here's a challenge for you. Stop focusing on what you don't have and start thanking God for what you do have. Stop focusing on what you don't have. It's so easy to do. And instead, start thanking God for what you do have. You might not have everything you want, but you probably have everything that you need. Start naming the things that you're thankful for. Start counting them one by one by one. In fact, I have a challenge for you. For the next two days, let's see if you can complete this challenge. For the next two days, go with no complaining. And every time that you're tempted to complain, I want you instead to say something that you're thankful for. Okay, I know it might be hard. You're gonna be like, oh man, this traffic... I just want to thank Jesus that the sun is out, right? Like, you can do it. Every time that you are tempted to complain, tell God something that you are thankful for. I promise there's going to be something. You can acknowledge a problem, but bring a solution. Okay, you don't have to deny reality, but even when it's tough, find something to give God thanks for. You know, Adam and I have two sons, and our oldest son, Nash, he's five years old, and he is the type of kid that will have one song that he likes. And we will listen to that one song for months. Just one. He doesn't have a playlist on shuffle. It's just one song. So gratefully, right now, that one song is a worship song. Prior to that, it was We Are the Champions by Queen. So we're really grateful that we're currently into a worship song. I know all the words to that song now, but... The song that Nash really loves is called A Million Little Miracles. And it's probably the sweetest thing, like 50 times a day, Nash will say, Alexa, play A Million Little Miracles. When we're driving in the car, he'll say, Mommy, would you play A Million Little Miracles? When it's time for bed, he's like, Mommy, will you sing A Million Little Miracles? I'm like, baby, I am so tone deaf. We can FaceTime Sam and Kristen, our worship pastors, but if you want me to sing it, I will. And we sing that song, A Million Little Miracles, which really we just end up listing off all the things that we're grateful for. But I've noticed that the more that we listen to this song, A Million Little Miracles, the more that our attitudes change, our perspective changes, our outlook changes, as gratitude begins to be at the center of our verbiage, of our lives, in our home, things begin to shift. And so this week, as I'm sending you off with this challenge of no complaining, only gratitude, I thought maybe we could all use a little jump start. And maybe we could all listen to Nash's favorite song, A Million Little Miracles. And as we do that, I want to encourage you to open up your heart and to open up your mind and reflect on all of the things that God has done for you, all of the ways that he's seen you through. 
and let's give God praise for the millions of little miracles that make up our lives. Let's go ahead and listen to this. Get over what you've done 
gratefulness. God, all of the good things that you've done, all of the miracles are not lost on us. God, we thank you for salvation. God, we thank you that we're able to gather here together today. A year ago, we couldn't do that. God, we thank you for the breath in our lungs. God, we thank you that even though life isn't perfect, we don't have to walk through it alone. God, I pray that you would help us to shift our focus from all the things that are negative, from all the things that are wrong, and that we would begin to see the good things that you are doing. God, I pray that we would be people who are prioritizing spending time in your presence, experiencing that joy and that strength and that supernatural ability to overcome. God, I pray that we'd be people who are so thankful, even when it doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. And that as a result of that thankfulness, we would experience joy and we would experience grace for whatever it is that we're walking through. God, for my friends who maybe are walking through something and are waiting on a miracle, God, I pray that you would meet them right where they're at. God, we thank you that you are the God of healing and that you can heal people right now, that you are the God of restoration and you can restore marriages and families. God, we thank you that you are the God of freedom and you can free us from addictions or from problems. God, we thank you that you are the God who makes all things new. If you did it for the little boy in Thailand, you can do it for us. God, I pray that we would never underestimate your goodness, that we would never underestimate your presence, that we would never underestimate your power. God, we thank you that you are good. And I pray, God, that you would have your way in our lives. God, our desire is that your will would be done, not ours. So God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. And maybe you're in here today and you're going, gosh, I want to spend more time with God and I want to experience that joy and strength, but you've never made the decision to follow Jesus as the leader and forgiver of your life. That's the greatest miracle of all, that we get the gift of heaven forever and Jesus as our friend. And if you want to make that decision today, I want to give you that opportunity. So if everyone wants to go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes, and if you say, I want to follow Jesus, that means that you're saying you believe he's the son of God, that he died on the cross and rose again. Would you go ahead and slip up your hand? This is your decision. You're not joining the church. You're following Jesus. And I see hands that are going up everywhere. I see your hand and your hands. See your hand and your hand. Once you've put it up, you can go ahead and put it back down. I know there's hands going up online as well. Best decision that you will ever make. And so that no one feels alone, church, can we all repeat this prayer after me together? Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus, that he died for me, forgives my sins, and gives me a brand new start. Today I choose to follow him. And in your name, amen.